Welcome to another BritFlix.com podcast. My name's Stuart Wright, and today's guest is writer and script reader and script consultant, Nadia Atia. Welcome to the show. Hello, thanks for having me. It's my pleasure, it's my pleasure. Now, I've read out a long list there of, of, of job job attributes, but you've also got something new in the pipeline. Do you want to just tell us what that is as well? Yeah, so as well as script reading and script consulting, which sort of did freelance um, as well as a full-time job, mm. um, I'm, I'm a writer of fiction as well. So in my spare time, I've been writing a book um, and managed to get myself an agent. And well the book's coming out. Thank you. Yeah, that is an achievement, actually. It a is. lot of rejections, actually. So there's a lot of... Like when you're submitting stories for competitions and trying to get an agent, you've just got to um, I kind of empathise with screenwriters because you're facing rejection all the time. And if you... Yep. If, you, if you're not up for getting rejection, then you're kind of in the wrong business because that's part and parcel of what, what we do. Um, so, yeah, as a writer of fiction, I've managed to get an agent and I've got um, my books actually coming out in spring next year, 2023. So I'm really excited about that. It's not been announced yet, but, um, you know, it'll be real. It'll feel real when it's announced. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And as I just, yeah. just to give the listener an insight, we were talking before about how much of a lead time that really is. That's not some sort of delay or anything. That's They picked the book up and then they went, Right, we're going to space in 2023. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a small uh, sort of indie publisher, so that they couldn't really put it out as soon as I would like mm. it to have happened. But um, yeah, I just had to be really patient and uh, keep the trap shut and just wait and see what happens. But yeah, I'm really excited for it. But you've also got a new job, haven't you, as well? Yeah, so I start in um, mid-May. I start uh, my new role as a BFI Network Talent Executive for the Southwest region, mm-hmm. um, working with a colleague. And basically that will mean I'm assessing... Um, short film scripts, um, deciding what gets funded, essentially helping the, the um, filmmakers to actually realise their projects and get them made and get it out there and help them to promote you know, new talent. And one of my key sort of things that I really want to look for is like new diverse voices and supporting ethnically, ethnically diverse people. Um, being from a sort of mixed ethnicity background myself, that's really important to me as well. Okay. Um, and even in my writing as well, and the stories and the, and the, the fiction that I write, I try and incorporate characters that have you know sort of varied backgrounds. So it's not just the same kind of stereotypical characters that are coming through. So yeah, I'm really excited for it. It's, it's just like appeals to all of my skills as well. Because I used to be a short filmmaker myself. So I've got a lot of empathy for that practical side of it as well. Um, yeah, so it'd be really exciting. It is. Well, congratulations for Britflix for your new role. And I'm okay. sure the people of the Southwest would be glad to have you. I got in touch with you because you tweeted about a mammoth job you'd done where you'd read 400 scripts during October 2021 and you had some thoughts on it. And your thoughts were on diversity, on authenticity and, on, and a lot more. And we'll and we're going to use my 5 times 5 format to sort of unpack some of your observations and of, of that, and and of just being a, a what a script reader, what a script reader is, um, and as we've already established from your introduction, you're a writer and you're a reader, so you know you're not the the two sides of the coin, yeah, yeah the two sides of the coin, and and like I said to you while we, before we recorded, you know I've never met a reader yet that isn't a writer, um, to be honest with you, so I think it's important people understand that because I think ooh the bad. The bad, the bad script reader is the gatekeeper of my life, and like, well, yeah. no, they're just another. They're often just another writer like you, trying to find good work to read. You know, when you're reading, and I hope this is what we'll be discussing. You know, 
people want to read good stuff. They don't want to say no to everything. That's that's not a fun thing to do at all. Yeah, exactly. So um, for the for the listener that's never listened before, it is five times five minutes on each of the headings that we'll be that we'll be looking at. We're calling this five things from a script reader's perspective, which is Nadia's, and, and hopefully I'll be able to join in with what little knowledge I have. And every five minutes, a dog will bark, and then we'll move on to the next one. Does that all make sense to you, Nadia? Definitely, yeah. Thanks. I do, I do tend to waffle, so I think this format will be good for me. <laughs> it's good for you. It's good for me. Yeah. It means that, well, it guarantees us that we'll spend five minutes on each. Cool. Number one in your list of five things from a script reader's perspective is what makes a good script reader. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned that word gatekeeper earlier as well. Mm. Do you, it's not from from a writer's perspective, it is just frustrating to sort of think, who are these people that are essentially blocking my progress? But um I take that role really seriously. And it's a real privilege to be in the room and to be that person that's been asked to be a reader on the Channel 4 screenwriting course. Mm. Um, there was, I think there was like six of us. Um, readers so we we had this task mammoth task in October last year of reading 400 scripts in in about four or five weeks so I had to literally read about 13 scripts a day to sort of keep on top of things yeah 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 um but actually saying that a lot of it is you know you read a certain number of pages and if you know it's not right then you don't have to read the whole thing so this is where you know my my sort of blog post came from and that you just sort of discovered me on the tweet and everything yeah um so yeah, I took it as a huge responsibility and it's a real privilege to be, you know, quote unquote, the gatekeeper. Um, and to sort of take on that role, I think you really need to sort of set aside your biases and look past the name on the title page. Like I was deliberately skipping the title page if I could and not looking at like, oh, look, they've got an agent. Oh, they live in Hampstead in London, wherever it is. Um, yeah. And not not thinking about who the writer was. Um, unfortunately, these weren't blind submissions. So it was, you know, everything was there. Um, some people chose to write copious notes before the script actually started. Um, you know, footnotes, some of them wrote their own sort of grammar and language and things and lists, huge lists of characters and descriptions. Um, but you just have to kind of sort of skip through that um, and look past it and look past formatting as well to a point because some of the scripts weren't even formatted very well. And there was lots of like typos and it's somebody who showed a bit of an experience mm. in actually writing a script, but look past that and actually look at the story underneath it and what they're trying to say. Yeah. I remember, I remember on one of my very early script writing lessons, the, the teacher I had said, he held up two scripts and one of them looked like a dog's dinner and one of them looked like a model script. And he said, which is yeah. the best script? And obviously the class all went, that one. And he went, no, the one that's got the best story and just pointed in both yeah. of us. Because you can't tell by looking at a script just on format alone. Yeah, so you've got to look past your own biases as well and all of that sort of stuff and just look at if there's a voice, if there's potential. Um, I didn't look at people's CVs or research them if I saw their name or whatever until after I'd read the script. Um, and you've got to consider diversity and representation within the story as well, but also be alert to tokenism, which is something I found in some of the scripts, unfortunately, where people are just sort of adding stuff in just for the sake of ticking boxes. And you can sort of see that as a reader, you get a sense and you can sort of tell that it's not coming from an authentic place. It's just somebody trying to kind of get noticed and like appear to be different. Um, what do without you mean actually the kind giving... of thing where there's a, a, an obvious default that everybody's white and then 
and then just add yeah, some I mean, they might, they might, they might write a really minor character, like the barista in in the coffee shop is um, is like a Latino gay or something, and then oh. they have they have one line, and you're like, well, why did you need to feel the need to specify that? And if you want diverse characters, why don't you make them the main character and actually give them the story and write something that's fresh and unique? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. It's just stuff like that, and it just sort of feels a bit obvious and disingenuous. Really. No, no, no. I've I've read them myself. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, so yeah, as I said, set aside personal taste is another thing that makes a good reader. Empathy for the craft and for the intent for the intention. Out of interest, um, I mean, I've asked this of people who watch a lot of films because I've, I've interviewed buyers before. But as a reader, how do you set aside taste? I mean, I don't love war films, and there's certain genres that I just. I mean, I'm not a huge, you know, rom com fan. But if something's written really well, the story's great, and the characters jump into the page, I'm like this is cool. This is brilliant. I totally recommend this. Mm. Um, so it's just the question of not, not, have, not kind of having a chip on your shoulder or bias against certain things or just being a bit snooty about, for example, you know, rom-coms are often looked down on. And um, even in the literary world as well, like romance fiction is like, oh gosh, that's, you know, there's, there's just like social kind of expectations that are just around us all the time. You've got to sort of look through that and wade through that and just kind of get to essentially what is the heart of the story and what are these what is this writer trying to say and is it unique is it different like with the with the four screenwriting task of reading these 400 scripts a lot of it was just literally is it fresh is it unique is it original enough um is it good enough to go through to the next round because often we would actually have um a discussion with the other the other readers um and sort of pitch the stories that we loved and then um, justify certain stories that we've dismissed. Like, so Philip Shelley was leading on it. So if he would sort of question something, he'd be like, oh, well, I noticed this is in here. Why did you not put that through? Then you have to have... Oh. Go on, <laughs> finish your thought. Run over. Yeah. You have to have, you know, have justifications and reasons why you didn't necessarily put that script through. Um, and and just going on to my final points is that you, you kind of, as a good reader, needs to be kind of ruthless um, in in a certain way because... A lot of time when you're reading for production companies, you need to just literally, sometimes it's a checkbox even. You're like, is there is the writing good? Is the premise good? And it's like, yes, no, whatever. Yeah. Pass, recommend, um, or, you know, second read or whatever. So it is literally shorthand a lot of the time. And, and execs don't really have the time to look at stuff in detail. So they need you to be that first pass on, on the project and say whether it is a project that has commercial potential or maybe it doesn't and the writer has potential. So you might want to flag that. So in that, in that's just for, for the for the writer that's listening. Then, so when you're reading for that time that time poor executive, are they yeah. are they saying to you then we're looking for? You've got your checklist of tip. You know, they might say, "I want, I really want to find you know the diamond in the rough, or I want to find the polished genre piece, or what you know you you kind of know yeah. what you're looking for, or is it is it just everything and you point it out? Some some production companies do say we want you to read this for the writer's potential. And some mm. companies just want a general read where you're covering everything. Yeah. So when it's for the, the potential of the writer, then they kind of have obviously found someone that they think could be interesting. They just need you to like do a sort of judgment on whether they have got the, the chops, as it were, to actually yeah, yeah, sort yeah. of carry a script or carry a TV series, which is a huge responsibility. Of course, yeah. Um, and I know I've run over, but I had two more little points. Well, no, on please do. No, please do. You're all right someone who's able to flag the good and the bad. So if you're reading, and specifically if you're giving notes to the writer, which is very different from giving notes, you know, this ruthless checkbox thing to, to execs or whatever, yeah. 
Um, you've got to flag the good and the bad. And don't try to fix the story because it's not yours to tell. And that's something that I really have to stop myself from doing because I'm 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 a fixer and I'm a doer. And I'm like, oh, if we just move that scene there, or we just take that, or maybe with this this mm. device would work better. But I've had to really not do that when I'm working with a writer. And um, instead, you literally interrogate and ask questions, and you let them make the decisions on the story because it's their story to tell. It's not yours. Yeah, yeah, no, I did, I did, I did exactly that only last weekend with a script where it was like. Why this? Why that? I love this. Yeah. Why did the character do that? So instead of saying, like you say, instead of saying, I think the character, what you're saying is, instead of me saying, what would be potentially wrong would be say, the character should do this, which is none of my business, really. If the question yeah. is, what have they done already? That's the question, isn't it? It doesn't make sense because of X, Y, Z or whatever. You know, they're a spy. Why would a spy yeah. do this? <laughs> yeah. And a lot of it is just sort of, it's, it's like, almost like being a detective and kind of looking through the layers of the story and you're kind mm. of digging deeper and deeper and sort of saying, okay, well, that didn't quite work. Something's snagging here and I can't put my finger on it. What is it? And mm. um, just asking questions and kind of getting that from the writer and challenging them saying, have you considered this? Or why did you write it in this way? Or why is it set in this particular city or whatever it is? And it just kind of throws up, opens loads more doors and throws up more questions, but also more ideas and, and then the writer will literally sort of steer it themselves in in i'd love that part of it if i'm honest with you yeah, it, it, yeah. It, when someone's asking you questions it's a whether it's at the pre pre-prep stage of a script or when one's been drafted the minute they start asking you it, it it also gives you as the writer an idea of whether they've read the script that you thought you'd written because if that question's yeah, about exactly. some other bloody type of film then you've done something horribly wrong it's not necessarily what they're going to ask you but you your yeah. intentions it's a clue to what your intentions, how your intentions have been received. Um, yeah, because the writer can be so close to the story that they just don't, mm. they, they haven't got that perspective. So a reader, a script reader, um, and from, from and me being a writer, you know, my agent or the editor, the book publisher, they they give me a different perspective and they ask, they're they asking me these sort of questions. And I'm like, oh yeah, okay. So you read it in that way and that's not what I intended. Yeah, so, yeah. It's really interesting. Basically, readers are on your side. Yes, so. totally. No, I, yeah. I I had two readings of a script recently where they both were positive, but what they fed back positively was of two different films. Oh wow! So I'm waiting on yeah. another couple of reads to see where, where, where it's landed because it's because yeah, yeah, it's yeah. like I know what I I hoped I wanted to, I know what I hope to get, but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna discount this other avenue that's possibly there that I've found by accident because why why would I if that's yeah. what it's doing then exploit it because it's not a bad thing. The last thing that what makes a good reader is is obvious one, but someone who loves storytelling and that that's me. Um, so yeah, <laughs> someone who loves storytelling and watches, watches a lot of films, a lot of TV, reads books, someone that just loves narrative. And I think it goes yeah. without saying the idea of taking on the task of 400 scripts in the first place. You've got to have, there's got to be a level. It'd have to be pretty, pretty sadomasochistic to, uh, to take that on if you didn't enjoy storytelling. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right then, number two, what what readers look for? Um, so firstly, what is the story about? Are we frustrated by an opaque narrative? Are we bored? Like a lot of the scripts I was reading, I was just like, I don't even know what this is. What is this? What's the story? 12 pages in and I still have no idea. And that's not good. No. Um, a good handling of vocabulary and dialogue is great. Um, originality, as I said, like I was always sort of thinking like, is this fresh? Is it new, different? flow and structure is it easy to read which also sort of goes back to like you know what is this um building up to something is it is is it 
Um, if, if it is structurally different and intriguing, then is that a stylistic decision that's working? Is it building up to something or is it just sort of showy? Um, and is it more frustrating than it is intriguing? Um, also look for a clear tone or an atmosphere that, that suits the story. Um, some of the some of the scripts can be quite muddled. So they might say, oh, it's, this is a horror film. And then you kind of read it and you're like, where's the horror? Mm. <laughs> where's the atmosphere? Where's the gore? I want to feel scared. Like, give me some more. And like, just do more with it. Um, prove, prove the genre. Yeah. Um, and then believable characters who want something is obviously really important in any script, any story. Um, and authenticity is a big one for me. Um, so it kind of goes back to that, what I was saying about tokenism as well, but in character, in world building, in everything. And that goes for genre projects as well. So even if you've got like some kind of sci-fi fantasy, you're building a world and you want that world to feel authentic and you want the reader and the viewer to go on that journey with you. So it absolutely has to be, you know, you might even write a whole backstory for it. It doesn't get, get into the script on the page, but mm. you've got to know your world inside out and be convincing when you're writing about it. Um, that's really, those are kind of the key things that the readers look for. Um, and then the first 12 pages are, Obviously, this has been said a lot. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's good to hear it, though. It's good to hear it if it's, it's true. It's so important, isn't it? Like, because those are the opening. Like, don't submit draft one. Don't just think, oh, shit, there's a competition deadline. I've got to get this in quickly. Hone it, because we'll know as a reader, sometimes by page five, which sounds quite brutal, but you'll just know if it's a script that you want to take forward or not, just based on the quality of what's in front of you. So the opening is so important. Um I don't, I don't know if is this of interest, but I could read a few of like my real sort of shorthand notes from my channel. If you want to share them with us, please. No, that'd be lovely. Yeah. Just to give you an idea of like, and this this was really just to caveat this. It's a very, very shorthand, me scribbling my notes down because if I ever got questions or no, why didn't you put that through or why did you put that through? Yeah. I've got like backup to sort of say, oh, this is why. And again, it does seem very shorthand and, and probably a bit sort of terse, but this is stuff that you would never pass on to the writer. Yeah, no, no. Um, look, I, I mean, when I'm doing it with people I know, I always say, look, this is just my reaction as I'm reading it. This isn't a diplomatic thought, so don't be offended by it. Yeah. So just, and obviously this is all anonymous and yeah. no names, nothing. We can't tell who, who does what here. But um, one of my notes was, um, it doesn't seem to go anywhere. 12 minutes in, nothing has happened apart from character intros. Characters all seem roughly sketched, leaning on stereotypes, which is kind of what I said before. It's like, mm. is it, it's not going anywhere. 12 minutes in, I don't know what this is about. Um, another one is the writing is very novel-esque, a bit too much detail, a flowery description and a heavy focus on audio. The action is surreal, switching between ethereal real world and memories that become distorted. Then it cuts to a car chase scene. Nothing really hangs together plot-wise, so this would be hard to follow on screen. I understand that the writer wants to retain some mystery and clearly enjoys language and words, but all this comes at the sacrifice of story. You know, there are certain things in as a reader, just like, I mean, this is someone who can write and they clearly love dialogue and vocabulary but it's just it's not enough to just write flowery language um they should be writing a novel it sounds like yeah exactly yeah some of the one of the projects i was just like yeah this is a novel <laughs> i've got another note, very disjointed broken sentences to the point where it's slightly grating i think this was a play actually um i know the main character is distressed but there still needs to be some kind of flaw um sorry flow to the speech for us to follow stuttering etc isn't the only indication of emotion um, another one-sided monologue, no real interaction, just talking at the audience. And that was another thing that I didn't like as well. Like if, if character just talks at the audience or character talks at each other, mm. it's not really involving you in the story and it's not kind of immersing you in it. It's just almost like the writer's got something to say. They just need to bang it out and say it yeah, yeah, yeah. without thinking about 
weaving it into an actual story or making it feel authentic. Or more lack of putting us in the place, grounding us at the location. Characters talk at each other and go off on rambling tangents that don't feel connected to anything and unlikely to be two things 16-year-olds would say to each other. Conversation turns dark and bizarre very quickly and we still don't actually know context or what this is about. Is this just the writer trying to be edgy or shock? That's fine, but it still needs something driving the story forward. So it sort of goes back to what I was saying before. Yeah, the other yeah, point. yeah. No, it's interesting. No, it's, I mean, to honestly, though, what's also interesting is for someone like I, I've, I've never done the kind of volume you've done of reading, but it's my biggest concern always when I'm reading is that bit where you go, what's this about? I'm 15 yeah. pages in and I just know there's six people involved. And I, and I sometimes think it's me. You think, have I just missed something? Is there a, and you and you go. I back over. That's, sometimes I would skip to the to the end of the you know skip to the end of the project and the script or whatever, and just see if I missed something. Did I completely miss the concept here? But like a hundred percent every time, it's not. It's actually just not very good writing. If you can't remember it, don't worry about it. But I'd be fascinated to know because I think I think sci-fi and and horror certainly where you take us out of the human realm or you go into a future realm, and that world building becomes almost like architectural rather than just simply um, saying what room you're in. Um, you know, if I say I'm in a pub, we can we know what a pub is. And if I say it's a traditional pub, we have a view of it. But if I say I'm in the control room of a whatever, suddenly yeah. you're like, what the hell's that? And and I think that, you know, I remember reading one time that, you know, all, all potential sci-fi scripts are dogged by the fact that we're going to imagine Blade Runner or Star Wars. You know, it's kind of if you if, you know. So, is there anything you any good tricks that you saw in scripts where they were using good shorthand to create the world building on the page without having to be too florid? Yeah, well, you sort of did it yourself there, where you were like using comp titles and things. So it's like Blade Runner meets whatever, like Star Trek or something, um, which sounds odd. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, well, there's no reason why you can't. And this was another one of my sort of points. I think in that blog post that you read was just then. Um, you've got space as the writer to write really amazing descriptions and put us into this world and give us these characters and like really give us like texture and tone and atmosphere. And a lot of the scripts were just so sparse in their descriptions that you kind of didn't know, oh, I know this, this person's 30 years old. I know nothing else about them or they might have brown hair. Um, and, and it's like, it's a, a, a university lecture hall. I'm like, okay, great. Where, what city, where are we? Is this modern day? Um, and it just sort of feels a bit like writers sometimes forget to, to let us into the story. Right. And they just might assume knowledge because it's in their head. They can see it perfectly. They can sort of see the movie or the TV show in their head, but they're just not translating it onto the page, which is a real shame. Um, but I actually, um, perhaps if I haven't run out of too much time, I've got yeah. a good note Go to compare. Because a lot of my notes were just like, oh, it's just dull, weird banter, doesn't really go anywhere. Um, humour that doesn't land, jokes that are like a bit of bad taste, um, trivialising serious subjects and stuff like that. But on, on a good side, this is one of my good notes I'll share mm-hmm. um, to, to make it sound like I'm not just a horrible... Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're not a tyrannical reader. <laughs> tyrannical, yeah, exactly. Um, so I've got the good, the good note was um, the teaser opening isn't quite successful and there are one or two flashbacks we could do without. Stick with me. Mm-hmm. However... This is understated writing that has a distinct tone to it, a real confidence. And despite there being little action in most of the scenes, there's a brooding subtext of the work, strong characterization, and excellent emotional beats. The writer understands filmmaking and has some interesting visual ideas. The suggestion of a single camera take for a turning point confrontation is particularly effective. A bigger reveal is needed at the end of the episode, and there are pacing issues. But despite the script's flaws, it shows that the writer is a talented storyteller with potential. 
I'd take and that, that note one. every day. Yeah, and that was one of the writers that actually got onto the course as well. So yeah, I was really yeah, pleased. Yeah. Oh, that was one I was going to fight for as well. Brilliant. Um, so it's really great when you get good scripts. No, and also it's it, what also you, what you described there is it's not about describing perfect. It's because you're going to something's going to be developed beyond you having whether it's a competition or submitting to an exec or however however much you're however able to put a script in front of someone. That script is not, you know, however many people you've you've had help you develop it, and this is something I've, I've over the last few years I've sort of been to appreciate is that I can have a finished script, and then a director can come on board, and the director has his or her thoughts on it. And so I've either got to respond to that or do nothing. Now to do nothing risks losing the director. And if you're getting on, you might want to respond to it and try and build the script. And I think that's a, it's interesting that that's also part of how you read the scripts as well. You know, you're going, I can see where this could go. You know, this is. Yeah. It's exciting. Yeah. yeah. Cause you can see the potential. And that's, that's the key thing about readers. They kind of, like you say, you don't want to be the one saying no all the time. You actually want to, find the diamonds in the rough and support new talent and bring new talent through. So I was really keen to do that with all of my script reading, actually. I, I kind of look at it with an open mind and then my patience kind of runs out to a certain point and then you start getting the notes where it's just like, oh, it's just dull, it's not working, it's nothing new. Um, and but yeah. And really, that is, I mean, I must admit, again, not done of the same volume, but I know I know that feeling when you're kind of waiting for it to kick into the, when's the good going to come and you yeah. kind of... You're willing it to work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Right then. Talking yeah. of making it work, number three is avoid brackets or play with cliches and stereotypes. Do you want to tell us what your observations there are? Yeah, so reading a lot of scripts. I've, I've read the, this Channel 4 thing, but I've also read books for the BBC and manuscripts, um, sorry, um, TV plays, all kinds of stuff yeah. for BBC and Studio Canal and various other people, Green Door Pictures as well. Oh, yeah. so this is kind of covering the gamut of like reading experience that I've had but um it's it's prevalent uh, as a cliche that a lot of scripts just have that they wake up there's like the alarm going off oh shit I'm late I'm gonna jump in the shower I'm gonna make some toast and then making some tea and you and you're sort of like gosh you've you just wasted all this page space on somebody waking up in in crumpled bed sheets and then making tea and it's so frustrating because it still happens and the whole unpaid bills overdue stamp on the envelopes and all this kind of thing um, and then again, and with cliches and stereotypes, there's also a lot of, I found white middle-class domesticity or poverty porn on the flip side, traditional families, no distinction between characters, overuse of teasers, cold opens, um, which can really work. Like they can definitely, definitely work in the right, in the right place. Yeah. But it almost felt like a lot of the sort of teasers in these scripts were just um, almost like saying, I don't really have 100% confidence in my scene one. So I'm just going to throw this bit in here of like this bomb going off just to make you like keep reading. Yeah. And you, you don't need that. I think people just need to be way more confident in how they start their story in their scene one and not just, you know, have all these bells and whistles that are sort of ultimately distracting from what the actual real story is. Are you sort of just, are you, are you describing a sort of instance where it sort of goes off like a rocket and then it just grinds to a halt and you're kind of in some sort of, it's almost like they try to buy time, not not tell a story. Yeah, but also it's sometimes so obtuse that you're kind of like, well, I don't know who that person that just whose dead body is lying there. That doesn't mean anything to me because I don't know who that person is. But you know, maybe you should introduce them first, and then I'll care about what I've just seen. Got you, you see what I mean? It's a bit more, yeah. And a lot of the sort of showy things it come up in scripts, kind of um, time jumps, flashbacks, 
sort of heavy-handed nor- narratives, um, I, I kind of maybe feel like you should give the audience more credit. Mm. Um, so, and and on the flip side, if you if you know what these cliches and stereotypes are, you can subvert them, subvert the norm. So, do something interesting with them. Like, we audiences are smart enough to know what what these stereotypes are. So, actually, flip it and surprise us. You know, yeah. so that's what I mean by avoid or play with cliches and stereotypes. Um, and then do your research for the thing that I found um, that writers, maybe they're a bit hasty in entering competitions or that, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, um, factually and, and for character background and settings. So if you step out of your social bubble it's and do your research, you're much more likely to write something that feels authentic, even though it's not your lived experience. Mm. So I wouldn't say that you should limit your vision to only like, oh, well, I've only gone to a state school in in Hampshire so that's all I can write about but no you can't you can write about anything but just give it you know treat it with integrity and do your research and like you know you can you can have sensitivity readers you can work with consultants you might want to work with a co-writer to make it you know authentic um yeah I mean mean, look at I mean the big the big film out of the moment the Northman Robert Eggers wrote with an Icelandic writer yeah yeah so he could get his head around the Icelandic sagas yeah, and he he does a lot of research for his films as well, yeah. like The Witch as well. He wrote that in sort of the oldie English in, yeah, kind of in, way, in, in the Such new Puritan English. Yeah, and then and then The Lighthouse as well. He he really researched maritime language and slang and stuff like that. And it shows. It really shows in the actual finished product in the script. So are you are you um, saying you're reading sort of a let's say you're reading a period piece or something, and they're talking like they're in 2022 London. You might you might well, read a, you might read a script like that in terms of people not having done the research or yeah, I mean I, I made a mistake I remember I made a mistake on a script that I set in Rio and it was yeah. a, it was a really simple mistake to make but but not one if you're not if you're not Portuguese Brazilian I'd spelt I'd, I'd had the character called Javier and they yeah. said that that's Spanish yeah it begins with an X when it's Portuguese you're like oh right okay. And oh, wow. so suddenly, just what, just and it was the name of the character, you know. So, so it was, it was falling at the first fence. And had I not had a Brazilian read it, I could have sent that out, and everyone's going, "Well, this guy hasn't a clue what he's talking about." Well, those are quite easy to fix in the edit stage. Yeah, so but it's if, just but, like. But if I'd sent it out to a stranger to say, "Read my work," it'd have been, "Who's this clown?" Whereas, luckily, I got a Brazilian to read it first, and they went, "Oh, just on a sex Stuart," you know. And then that was an. E- I mean, yeah, you're right. It's an easy fix, but it's a big mistake to make if you sent it out to people. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so you're you're doing yourself the best favour by doing as much research as possible and having you know having beta readers and, and people check it before you send stuff out for sure, like definitely. And then then that's the way you can avoid these stereotypes and cliches. So um, yeah, it's definitely better to be prepared and, and have your research done. Indeed. Right then, number four: let us in and then read the room. Yeah. Um, so like some of those notes that I read out earlier, part of it is when when you're a reader reading a script, you sort of think, is this just a vanity project? Is this just someone trying to be too clever? They've got all this sort of like bitchy banter that's going around in circles, but is it really saying anything? Um, is it, it does this serve the story or is it just serving the writer? Because they've just got a chip on their shoulder and something to say. Mm. Um for example, it could be just be a series of vignettes or, it, you know, it might be a verbose didactic monologue um, or is it just like kind of witty pub banter gag or a scene that you've tried to stretch to 90 minutes. You can sort of tell as a reader if someone's probably got this like brilliant joke and they've just kind of 
pushed it, pushed it, pushed it. And it's just like, yeah, okay, we get it. It's too much now. Um, so that's kind of, yeah, to read the room as well is also in a sense, like think about, is this in poor taste? Are you trivializing something really serious like mental health or alcoholism or abortion or whatever it is? And like, just for cheap gags. And that really, that that's not very nice to read. And that does kind of put you on the sort of more negative sphere of when you're reading you're obviously trying to read with an open mind but some things can certainly sort of trigger emotions and um then that might sort of affect how you read the rest of the script it sort of puts you off a little bit yeah if, um, if people sort of have a traumatic incident and then cut to they've gone for a they've gone for a jog and now they're having a coffee with a friend and they're laughing and there's been no there's been no reaction beyond the immediate reaction to that trauma like the character doesn't appear to have responded to it at all really yeah um and then I'd, I'd say don't assume knowledge is I kind of mentioned that before as well but don't sort of deliver a really kind of blunt exposition um with the audience is smarter than you think so you know you can do it quite subtly but um not too opaque because we'll just get lost. And then like, like some of my notes were saying, it's just like 12 pages in. I'm like, what is this? I don't know, I don't know what's going well, on. But there's a difference between there being no story and, and, and assuming that someone understands what you're talking about. Because, you know, you look at something like um, Eric Eisenhower's Arrival, I'm sure that was an absolute head, head fuck to read when you come to it cold, given what it's talking about. And it'd be, you know, the kind of things that it involved are not sort of traditional visual things, you know, ink blots moving around wouldn't necessarily yeah. sound. So you'd have to be really specific in some moments and 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 then pull back on others, you know, to keep. I mean, subtlety is a hard one, I think. It's like subtlety and exposition sort of walk a fine line, don't they? Because Yeah, it's really hard, actually, yeah. Because you, you don't, yeah, you don't want to be so blunt and over the top that it's like, this is happening here and this is what's going on now, this character's doing. But, yeah. Too, being too subtle when I pay it is a really fine line, and that's that's the skill that shows the skill of the writer if they get it right. And you you all, you don't even notice that as a reader; you just kind of whiz through it, and you're like, "Wow, I've got to the end of the script. Mm. How did that happen?" Um, and then a couple of things I noticed as a reader that <laughs> yeah, and it sounds really obvious, and it's like teaching your grandmother's suck eggs. We always we always need to confirm what we already know. Don't worry about that, Nadia. Yeah, it's such a weird saying. Anyway, um, so if. If, for if example, you're writing a radio play, you need to remember that listeners don't get the scene descriptions. And if you're writing a TV or film script, you need to remember that the audiences won't get the scene descriptions. So when someone's giving you loads of character background and then like really intrinsic detail and you're kind of like, well, the viewer is not going to see any of this. So you actually need to put it in the actions in the dialogue. And, and a lot of writers sort of forget that. I think part of that is probably just, again, being really close to your project that you know the story inside out. But you're not thinking about letting the viewer in and letting the reader in and kind of going, oh, right, yeah. So this is literally what they're going to see. So I need to write that clearly so that that, that makes sense. Um, yeah. And then another another sort of point, I guess, was, yeah, that thing about jokes and banter, is it misjudged? You, just, you know, read the room. Just, you know, make sure that what you're saying is poignant, sure, but don't offend people for the sake of a joke. Um, and humour was really, really, it's a really hard thing to write and to get right. Like mm. a lot of my notes were just like, the humour doesn't land, it doesn't work, it's not on point, it's not funny. Um, they're trying to be witty, but it's just not, it's just not working. And it's really, it's just so hard. And it, I know that's a bit of a taste thing as well, but 
it's got to come from somewhere. It's got to come from heart and from kind of some honest place of I've got something to say here and I've got a really interesting, subversive way, irreverent way of, of saying it. Um, and those are the scripts that work the best when they're coming from a place of authenticity rather than just a sort of, like I said before, like a vanity project. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. And, it, and like a couple, just to, to round off what I was yeah, saying, well. just is it the right script for now? Why do you want to tell this story? Is the script tapping into the zeitgeist or is it challenging it? Um, what's it saying about the world today? Um, even period dramas can have like universal connection. Like when I was reading period dramas, I was like, this is really well written and they've got a lot of detail. And actually, you know, it's a decent writer, but it's not actually saying anything different or fresh. And it's not giving us a different perspective that we can relate to the world today mm. or seeing ourselves reflected in it. Um, so think about that as well. It's a tough one. I mean, and, and obviously when, when somebody's work's being assessed like separate to them, as opposed to talking around a table, the answer to the question, you know, why, why this story and why now? I mean, it's, yeah. it's often the hardest question to answer when, when you're at any stage of, of a story development, because, you know, at one point, it's, one, at some point, you're just kind of, you're thinking, because I think it'll be interesting and I don't know yet. But obviously, once you've written a screenplay, you should have found out. Why, why, why you wanted to write what it was that really drove you? Because you'll have you'll have dug into it and you'll have exposed what it was that interests you, or you should have done. If you haven't, then you've kind of fannied about, haven't you? Yeah, but it is so hard when someone says to you, "Okay, quick, give me the elevator pitch on your book or your film or whatever it is." Mm. It's so hard. And you're like, "Whoa, okay, yeah, what is this about?" <laughs> you start questioning yourself as a writer, and you're just like, "Have I? Is that coming through? Is this what I wanted to say?" Um, yeah, it's really interesting. No, I think I think at every stage. I mean, it's what I mean. I, I've I've got into the habit now of talking to people about my ideas before I've written much down at all, and just seeing what they come back with. Yeah, because that way you can begin to understand if you if you have got a, if there is something to say or not. Because they won't if they don't ask you any questions, then you have to wonder whether there's anything in it. But if they start going, oh yeah, what about this and what about that, and you're like, yeah, 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 there's loads in this, isn't there? And it's not that yeah. you're going to use it all, but just the idea that it sparks there. They go, yes, yes, yes. In whatever which way they go, you can suddenly begin to feel, oh, right, okay, maybe I'm onto something here. This is touching a nervous yeah. description. I should really go for this. Right Definitely. then, talking of which, don't squander the blank page. What do you mean by that? Yeah, so we as as the readers and the audience, we just want to be transported and we want to trust the writer. And like, we're, we're there, we're open, we're ready to be moved by your words. So you kind of need to deliver on your promise. So like I was saying earlier, if it's a horror, then I want the atmosphere and I want the gore and I want it to feel like a horror. Yeah. Um, and then if you set something up, we obviously need the payoff. So it's that Chekhov's gun thing. Um, and you need to sort of, I'd imagine, strike the right balance in detail so that we're immersed in the world but not bored. So scene descriptions are really important. Um, you can be overly detailed, but you, but there were scripts where it was just like, they were so scant that I was just like, I don't really know what, what this is. Um, so you need to, the scene descriptions are basically a window to the, to the reader. Mm. So you can, you can give them a, a sort of essence of your personality in those scene descriptions. So use the, use the blank page, use the space to show us what you're made of, show us what you've got and like show us a bit of your personality without being too over familiar or, you know, like, Hey, witty bands. But, um, you know, you can you can definitely put a lot in the scene descriptions to really build atmosphere, and it's so striking when a writer gets that right, and you just kind of you're you're in it and you're with it, and you're like on board, and you trust them. 
Um, so that's that's those are really nice reads when you just kind of whiz through a script and you're like, oh right, it's the end. How <laughs> did that happen? So yeah, really, really important to kind of let us in and you know, you use those bits of space, use the scene descriptions, location descriptions, character descriptions really well. Um, do you think blank- you know, when you say about expecting payoffs, do you think do you think in those instances where you didn't get the, the payoff, that the writer really set it up and you've identified a good setup that's not that's sort of been left hanging? Or yeah. they've forgotten to pay it off. What's your, what's your view? What's your view? Have you took a view on that at all? Yeah, sometimes it's just like a lukewarm ending, almost. It's like, oh, okay, this character's supposedly gone on this journey. You've set this thing up, but then the ending doesn't deliver. So you're kind of left a bit cold. Right. So you've read the whole project, the whole script, and you got mm. to the end, and it's just kind of really disappointing because it didn't really deliver on what you thought it was going to deliver. Um, and it, I mean. It, like I was saying about sort of stereotypes and cliches, if you know it and you can subvert it, then that's interesting. Like, so if you do a setup and then you don't deliver, but you've done something else instead, you're like, aha, you know, here's a twist. Mm. You thought this was going to be, you know, this kind of outcome, but actually now it's going in a totally different direction. That's, that's fine. But you've got to give us something. Um, And, you know, there's endless possibilities in a script. And I think just so many of them have just been kind of, squandered on kind of rehashing old stories and relying on tropes and a lot of them I was like I just want a different expand the world I don't want the all these domestic settings I was really kind of hungry for like lots of new kind of worlds and atmospheres and different perspectives and a lot of that is to do with diversity as well but it's it's just part of me was sort of thinking don't don't stay in your lane actually write what don't you know don't write what you think is expected of you write what you want to write and actually put the research and put the effort in and write something that's like coming from a place of authenticity within you. Um, and it's like, no matter what the genre, it's going to be relatable and it's a universal theme or a subject that's going to hook us. Yeah. Cause it's, yeah. it's the lived, it's the lived experience, isn't it? So when, when you say watch something like say dead man's shoes, Shane Meadows film, yeah, he takes you onto a council estate, which is, you know, a, a tr- particularly dreary setting that we've seen a hundred times, but then he takes us into the world of petty gangsters. So you you think you're in a setting you understand, and then he gives the and then he gives the gangsters a two CV to drive around in. So now it's absurd, but it's yeah. but it's brilliant and it's visual and it and it gives you something to think about beyond there's some bad guys on a council estate which we've seen a hundred times. Yeah, there's layers. Yeah, we're we're now we like why are they driving around in a two CV? You know, you 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 can't you know all those kind of things, and it's 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 easy it's it's easy it seems easy when you point out the sort of exceptions, but. It is about saying, look, yeah, Britain's not a not a fairground everywhere we go, but it doesn't mean it doesn't have, it doesn't have to be interesting. And you know, mundane can be can be good, and if you use it to your advantage. I mean, I I remember watched the film called The Devil Inside, which is set in Mansfield, and it's on a suburban estate. And I complimented the right the director on the fact that he nailed that essence of British mundanity because it was part yeah. of the tension was that yeah. nothing's going to bloody happen. You know, this is you know we have to we have to escape this for something to happen. But then what's really important in a scenario like that is that we've got to really love the characters and be yeah. on board with not love them as in like, they can, they can be villains, they can be awful, mm. but they have something that, you know, we engage with with the characters and that's going to, that's the thing that's really going to drive the story forward. So, you know, there's been brilliant films like 12 Angry Men, it's just like one room and it's amazing and it works. And mm. it's, that's what the character is. Yeah, I guess, I guess in summary, yeah. what I always say was just, um, everyone wants like fresh and edgy and they want an authentic voice and 
but I, you know, I, I reckon if you're a writer, don't overthink it and don't try too hard. Just write from the gut because that's like when you were saying about, you know, you were describing your your project to a friend and they were like, oh, that sounds interesting. There's like a spark that you get, isn't there? When mm. you, you hit that, that someone relates to. So just find those little sparks and those nuggets and just really go for it and, and think about why you need to tell the story and why you're the best person to tell it. And that was something that I kind of learned through my kind of writing courses that I've done and, and the London Writers Awards and writing my book and everything as well. That's one thing when you're trying to sort of write your synopsis and pitch your project. It's yeah. like, that's something I've really got to think about. Why am I the best person to write this story? And that's your voice. That's essentially it's such a hard thing to pin down, but that's that's you and that's your voice and that's what you're putting on the page. question of what I wanted to ask you, but I had to wait till the end, is... is of the 400 you read, that's a great snapshot of a, t- a moment in time. So in October 2021, did you t- do statistical, and not, not, not to just like genres and, and periods and all that kind of stuff, but was that recorded as part of the process? So is there like, was there 60% sci-fi and 20% period and all that kind of stuff? It was, no, it wasn't actually captured statistically. There's just, um, oh gosh, so many entries because it's such a prestigious competition, the Channel 4 screen. But in my batch, yeah. um, I got a lot of sort of domestic dramas, um, a lot of people talking about mental health, which was great because I feel like that's a modern thing. Like now we're talking about mental health. Yeah. It's brilliant. Um, and, and there were a lot more like gay relationships um, than you would normally see. So that's great as well that we're, you know, looking at different... Um, sexual orientations and different gender roles and different just society instead of putting us in little boxes people were sort of really um expressing that there is this massive diversity of of who who you are who you can be um how you live and and expressing different opinions and that, that I found that really refreshing some did it better than others like I said some some felt a bit tokenistic but it's just the fact that that's clearly what audiences want and what the writers think the Channel 4 commissioners want as well yeah, shows yeah, it's yeah. much more open and willing to be more accepting of, of other people and other people's opinions and how they want to live their life. And I thought that was that was really refreshing. There wasn't enough um sort of supernatural sci-fi for me because I, I love the you know, horror, all that sort of genre stuff. Um <laughs> but yeah, there was um yeah, it was it was a good variety, but you did sort of see certain things repeating themselves and themes and yeah, and then I felt like maybe the period pieces, although they could have been really well written, they just weren't really what was right for that particular competition right okay and for that sort of um the assessment that we were sort of doing for the, the channel for screenwriting course because you've all, ultimately you've also got to think about the destination where is this project going to be on screen mm. like what channel would you know what, where would it land um so we had to we did have i did have that in the back of my mind a little bit when i was reading for them as well and, and as you do as a freelance reader you've got to think is this right for the bbc is this right for studio canal or whatever yeah and it's it, it does sound quite harsh you know you know dismissing things and doing check boxes and all sorts but it, ultimately you know we want really great stories and we're trying to f- find great stories and we're trying to sort of push champion those voices that are coming through and that's something that I'm really passionate about and then I'm, I'm just really privileged to be in that in the room in mm. the room doing no no and it sounds like you're doing you're doing stellar stellar work um so let's remind people then you're 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 a, you're a reader obviously and a script consultant you're Let's tell, remind everybody, what's your new job you've got with the BFI? So it's BFI Network Talent Executive for the Southwest region, um, mm-hmm. Film Hub Southwest, so based at Watershed in Bristol. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I start that sort of mid-May, working with a colleague, um, another talent executive, uh, 
and that will be assessing short films um, and there's um, emerging features fund as well. So we'd be assessing projects for that. That's exciting. Um, and then helping filmmakers develop their projects and get them out there and, and promote them. And yeah, hopefully finding some great new voices as well. But it just gives me to say thank you very much for giving your time on the Britflix podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's a real privilege. Thank you very much. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.